Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, teaching pastor Steve Carter concludes the Sunday School series with a message titled, Cyrus the Great and the Greatness of the Bible. You'll also hear from lead pastor Eric Parks. Are you ready for the final installment of Sunday School? Uh, You you don't even know yet what, uh, only four of you clapped, but like, um, because the rest of you, you're like, okay, he wears the same clothes every time he teaches. I'm a little sketchy of him already. Um, But I've been thinking about Sunday School this whole series, and I've loved it. I thought, wasn't Ari amazing last week? She, she can preach. She can preach. Um, I, I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, you know what would be really, really awesome? Um, if I could just bore a whole bunch of people. Um, because I love, I could talk about the NFL. I could talk about my Michigan Wolverines were 4-0. I could talk about a number of things. We could talk about politics. I could talk about different kind of books that have come out. I could talk about different voices I respect. I could talk about different albums. I could talk about Carrington's Buffalo Bills. I could talk about a lot of things. Okay. But none of those things can actually save me. I can, I can talk about them. But none of those things can actually rescue or redeem or restore me. But I love to talk about them. And I, I don't know, just before we dive into this book, do any of you ever just feel like the scriptures, like if you're really, really honest, if, if you're really, really honest, you ever just find yourself going, I don't really understand what's happening in this book. Anyone with a show of hands? Okay, good, 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 because I, I feel this way. And, and do you ever just find this moment you're like, I don't necessarily always know how to get this thing into here and this book into here? Any, any, any of you? Okay, okay. Do, do you ever just go, I want to know this book, but somehow I read it and I either fall asleep or I read it and there's a bizarre word or I read it, and I know there's something going on, but I don't fully understand it. Show of hands. Okay, awesome. Well, here's what I'm going to do today. For the next 97 minutes, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try my best, because what, what, what I love to do the most, what I love to do the most is to try to make this book accessible to your life. I mean, we can talk about this book being the inspired word of God, and people will fight about that all the time, all the time. This is this, and Aaron is the inspired word of God, blah, blah, blah. People want to fight about that. What's moving to me is how this book still inspires to this day. How if you can literally open it up and begin to dive into it, somehow it can actually shape you and form you, and it can absolutely transform your mind. How you see yourself, how you see another, how you see what God is up to, even when it doesn't make sense. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you to seminary, which I haven't gone um, because I don't have that much money. But like, and I would love to go someday if anyone wants to pay. But like, that's a whole other sermon. But like, I I, want to take you there. And then what I want to do is I want to bring it to a Persian king who has influenced the United States of America, and then I want to bring it to you, okay? So we are, we are going to go through this, and, and just start, because it's Sunday school, let's start with a little bit of trivia. How many books of the Bible are there in the Old Testament? 
it's good, it's good, it's good. It's all right, it's all right. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know this morning until I had started to count. There's 39, all right? There's three rows of 13 in your Bible, okay? All right? Now, now the Jewish Bible, the Jewish Bible has the New Testament or the Old Testament? Old Testament. Okay, has the Old Testament. The Old Testament we call the Old Testament, which is really, really, um, it's, it's not actually the best semantics for Jewish people. It's like, oh yeah, I read your Old Testament. Like, that has nothing to do anymore. They call it the Hebrew Scriptures. They don't have 39 books in their Hebrew Scriptures. They have 24, which are like, ooh, wow, I like this already. They've gotten smaller. But they actually hold all of the same 39 books. They've just categorized them differently. So they don't have First and Second Samuel. They just have Samuel. They don't have First and Second Kings. They just have kings. And the, the Hebrew scriptures are known as the Tanakh. Let me hear you say the Tanakh. Tanakh. There you go. Well done. Okay, so the T-A from Ta is short for the Torah. And there's five books in the Torah. Okay, that was Torah literally means instruction. So the first five books, every Jewish boy and girl would memorize by the age of 13. And they, they, they knew the Bible. It was literally, they were stuffed with an, like it with an ox. They knew the word. They knew it. It was the instruction. It was the way. It was the truth. It was the light. It was, the, it was a lamp unto their feet. It was honey to their lips. It was everything to them. And then you had the na, to na. And that was the nevim. And that was the prophets. So all the prophets. All of the words and the writings of the prophets. That was in the middle section. And there was 11, 11 of those. And then you had the Ketavim, Tanakh, Torah, Navim, Ketavim. And that was the writings. So you had like Job and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, which no Jewish boy or girl could ever read. No teenager could read it because it was like, it would like excite them in ways. And like, it was like all of this like deep, deep theology. You had the Psalms and the Proverbs. But here's the question. What's the last book of the Old Testament, our Old Testament? It's an Italian prophet. Malachi. You're right. Malachi. No, just kidding. Malachi. Malachi. That's it, okay? It's a terrible joke, but I always use it. It's terrible, okay? So you had Malachi. The Hebrew Scriptures. The Hebrew Scriptures. What's the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures? You're like, I don't know. You're the one with the mic. You tell us. Stop making us guess. It is Chronicles. It's Chronicles. So the last verse of the Hebrew Scriptures, of the Tanakh, of the 24 books of the Bible, you're in Sunday school right now. I'm boring you to death already, but stay with me. It's going somewhere. Ends with these words. These words. Which you're like, I know, you're captivated. You're like, oh my goodness, tell me what these words are. Tell me, tell me. This is what it says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord. Did someone just, huh, when I said Cyrus, king of That was fantastic. They're like, yes. Mm. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to also put it in writing. This is good for husbands. Don't just say it. Put it in writing. Verse 23. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with 
them. This is how the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh ends. We're building a temple. And a Persian king in Persia's modern day Iran, a Persian king is absolutely proclaiming this, feels appointed to this, and is actually providing for this. But here's the amazing thing. And we're going to talk about this. But we have to do a little bit more Sunday school. A little bit more. Just stay with me. I promise this is going somewhere. One of the hardest pieces for me is when I read the Bible, there are some verses that I actually really, really love. And there are verses that sometimes when I'd walk into my grandparents' house, I would see up on the wall, you know, like Jeremiah 29, 11. What does that say? For I know the plans. Who, does anybody know that verse by heart? Who, who knows it? Come on. You got it? It's okay. It's all right. Don't worry. You're, you're, you're with family. We don't, we're, none of us are perfect. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to give you hope in a future. That's good. That's good. I like that. I like it. Well done. Well done. Now I'm going to give you a sticker. And after service, you're going to be able to go get a free cup of coffee. That's kind of what, that's, that's what we did in Sunday school, right? Okay. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Have you ever just wondered, there's a fascinating passage, for I know the plans. It sounds really, really great, but it starts with a preposition, which makes you think, like, well, what was, like, right before that? And even in the passage of Chronicles that I read, Jeremiah, which Jeremiah 29, 11, was just what, I, what was recited, but Jeremiah was mentioned in Chronicles, but, like, why, why would this beautiful, beautiful passage, for I know, what, what was before that? I'll tell you. And this, to me, is fascinating because Jeremiah does something. Jeremiah ends up bringing to light something. He says this in Jeremiah 29, 10. He says this, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You did it perfectly. Now, here's the deal. What's, what's Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah is saying that God told him that 70 years, the people are going to be in exile. They are going to experience persecution. They are going to experience struggle. They are going to experience difficult times. But you know what? It's actually going to be good for them. And God is actually going to do something at the end of those 70 years. And he's going to give you a new hope. And he's going to give you a new future. Because he knows the plans that he has for us. But it's amazing is we sometimes can just take a verse, put it over here and be like, oh, I feel so good about myself. But do you know that verse actually found itself in profound levels of pain? And for many people, this is what they were holding on to. Now, stay with me. This is all going somewhere. Have any of you read the book of Daniel before? It's, it's bizarro. It's like the, the, the Hebrew revelation. It's really, really hard. The first six chapters of Daniel are profoundly historical. And then the next six chapters, there's 12 chapters. The next six chapters, verse one of each of those chapters are all about these visions that Daniel has had. And Daniel writes, in Daniel chapter 9, stay with me, this is all going somewhere, I promise. And you're like, 
just get that guy to Elgin. I can't stand what this guy talks. But here's the thing. No, no, I'm saying. Like, I didn't mean it like that way. But here's the deal. Like, what I'm saying, though, is like, if you, if you get this, though, it will literally change you. It will make you understand how beautiful the text is, and it will speak to this time. What you have in Daniel, though, in Daniel chapter 9, is he does something that I think, seriously, he does something so profound because what he's doing here is he's trying to say that he's actually begun to understand Jeremiah, understood what he literally has just read. And he says these words in Daniel chapter 9, which is somewhere in my Bible. No, not there. Well, he says this in Daniel chapter 9, where he says this. He talks about this vision that Jeremiah had that in 70 years, this level of exile is going to be gone. And, and, he, and he's been telling the people this. So, he, so Daniel's been interesting because Daniel's actually served with four different kings. Kings like Nebuchadnezzar. Kings like Darius. But he's going to actually now serve with another king. A king that had been prophesied about. 150 years before. We're going to read a passage. 150 years before that was written before this very moment. And, and this is all about this man that we read about named Cyrus. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. This is all going somewhere, I promise. It says this, verse 24. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt, and of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your stream. So this is all talking about God's power. But then he says these words. These words. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now, what you don't see in this verse, and you probably didn't catch, and I did not catch, is how important it says when it says, he is my shepherd. Now, if you study the life of Cyrus, Cyrus's father was named Cantabus I. His father, so his grandfather, was this great, great leader, but had this dream that one day, one day, my grandson would overthrow me. So his son has a kid. And he's so threatened by this child, Cyrus, that he orders Cyrus to be killed. So he has one of his chief aides take the child, and this is recorded like in history, not in the scriptures, in history. It is recorded that this, this chief like administrator to this king takes Cyrus, and he's, as he's taking this child out to kill, he meets a shepherd, a shepherd family, husband and wife, and they're holding their stillbirth child, and they're preparing to bury their stillbirth child. 
And this administrator sees the heartbreak and he switches children. So hands Cyrus to these shepherds, takes the stillborn baby, and he ends up bringing that baby and, and, and bearing that child. And these shepherds go and actually raise Cyrus. Now, for 10 years, the king on Cyrus's birthday mourns the fact that he literally killed his grandson. But the chief administrator, executive, knows oh, he's not dead. And he's actually been watching and watching out for this shepherd boy. And what's incredible is on his 10th birthday, the chief administrator has the courage to tell the king, hey king, I switched the children. He's actually alive. He brings in Cyrus, and Cyrus gets back to the kingdom, and he ends up raising in power, and then he does overthrow his grandfather. But that's another story, because I would too if my grandfather wanted me dead. But that's another story. But he ends up rolling to power. But here's the crazy piece. 150 years before, Isaiah writes, he is my shepherd. Now Cyrus, Cyrus knows his story. Cyrus knows that he wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for a shepherd family. Cyrus understands, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And so 150 years before Cyrus is ever on the scene, God is writing through his prophets words. Here's what I just need you to know, is that God prepares in our pain. God prepares in our pain. And some of you have walked through profoundly difficult seasons, and prepare literally means before you go public. And God is preparing, Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good. If you let it, God will prepare you in the midst of your pain. Now, this is what Cyrus looked like. This is kind of an artist's rendering. He rose to power. He became known as the greatest leader. I mean, a profoundly, profoundly great leader. And I'll speak more about this in a moment. But again, you read like a book of Daniel, and if you, you're like some of it, like it make, doesn't make sense, but Daniel prophesies that after Cyrus, there's going to be one leader, and he's going to be amazing. And then it's going to go to four, and then it's going to go to two, and then it's going to go to one, and then the Messiah is going to come. It's in the book of Daniel. And it literally is what happens because after Cyrus's rule and reign, what comes after? Alexander the Great. From Cyrus the Great to Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great dies at 32 years old. This is all history. And when he dies, he doesn't have an heir. So what happens is he gives his territory to four generals. Those four generals become two. And you have these two generals until they are defeated by Rome and Jesus the Messiah comes in during the time of Rome. All in the book of Daniel. So welcome to Sunday school. This is still going somewhere. Back to Isaiah. Look what it says in Isaiah. It says this, verse 2. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. 150 years before Cyrus ever sees this. To Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. To subdue nations before him. And to strip kings of their armor. To open doors before him. So that gates will not be shut. Now, this is fascinating because in verse 1 chapter 45 it says this is what the Lord says to his anointed do you know what the word anointed in Hebrew is it's the word Messiah 
So all of a sudden, 150 years before, a Persian king who doesn't even believe in Torah or the Tanakh, God is proclaiming that he will be a lowercase m Messiah. I need you to understand something, Sunday school friends, is that God prepares in our pain. God prepares in our pain, but God purposes for his plan. And God will use anything to try and do his plan, even if it means using an Iranian king, because that's what Persia is. Even if it means using someone who doesn't even believe in God. Even if it means, and you can go through the scriptures, a prostitute like Rahab, a murderer like Moses, a persecutor like Paul. He, he'll use anybody if they'll let him. If they'll let him. And what's amazing is God just preparing in his pain, but he's purposing for his plan. Now, what's incredible is the story goes, and this is all biblical, is that Persia and Cyrus were moving towards Babylon. And the Jewish people had spent 70 years in exile, like it said in Jeremiah. And they're there, and Daniel, this is what scholars believe, Daniel's like, you got to be kidding me. You can't even make this stuff up. This is what was written in the scroll of Isaiah. And scholars say that when Cyrus comes to town, all of a sudden, Daniel brings him the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads that. And when he reads that, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Shepherd? Anointed? And he has this profound moment where he's like, God sees me. And out of unbelievable gratitude, we just had this moment of gratitude, thanking God for like what we've been able to partner with him in. But there is this profound moment, profound moment, where all of a sudden Cyrus recognizes I shouldn't have all of this influence. And so he sends the Jews back to Jerusalem and decides to pay for, pay for the temple to be rebuilt. So I just need you to understand this. God prepares in our pain. God purposes for his plan. And God provides for his people. And this is what you will see throughout the scriptures because the Bible is a human story interacting with a perfect God. And in the human story that bump up against other human stories, there's going to be a whole bunch of human pain. But God says, I'm going to prepare you in the midst of your pain. And I'm not just going to prepare you in the midst of your pain. I'm actually going to give you a purpose from your pain that's going to be a part of my plan, whether you know it or not. And when it's my plan, I'm actually going to provide for my people so that that plan can actually happen. And this, this is what you see in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament again and again and again. But here's the crazy piece. Here's the crazy piece. As, as you all probably don't know this, but Cyrus influenced our Constitution. Anybody love the Constitution? I do. I, lo I love it. I love, I love, love, love our history. I love, there's obviously parts of it that I'm like, I wish it was a little bit different. But like, I look, I look at like the way things were written and the reason behind why it was written. And you have to understand, Thomas Jefferson and all the founding fathers, they studied theology. They went to seminary. 
Ivy League schools had seminaries connected to them when they, when they started. But the founding fathers, they, they, back in Europe, they, they experienced studying theology. But each of them had another book that were, they were handed because, again, books were expensive. And they had, they had these writings, and there were two leadership books that every leader read. One of them was by Xenophon, and it was called Cyropedia. This is the cover of it. And it was all about the leadership lessons and the life of Cyrus the Great. And this, besides the Bible, was Thomas Jefferson's favorite book. If you study Cyrus the Great and you study his writings and you read the Declaration of Independence, there is a lot of similarities. When Cyrus the Great came to Babylon and he was shown the scroll of Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45, which we read, he gave what scholars say is the first bill of human rights. And he spoke, and there's this Cyrus cylinder. And it's the, it's this, this, this is in the British Museum. And all of those etchings are the actual words that he spoke to free and send these people. Now, I say all this because Cyrus had no idea he would influence the U.S. He had no idea that God was preparing him in his pain. He had no idea what he was actually being used for God's plan. And he had no idea what his example of provision would be. So quick time out. Staying in Sunday school, stay with me. We're getting ready to land the plane. If the last, if the last passage of scripture was about Cyrus from Chronicles, who was raised for the first 10 years by shepherds, who was all about building this temple it's funny when you go to the Gospels and you start to look at the Christmas story, who does God and the angel go to? What? what? We say that louder. Shepherds. Shepherds. All of a sudden it's like, hey, 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 there's a new Cyrus in town. And this Cyrus isn't going to rebuild the temple. This Cyrus actually, this Cyrus actually is going to destroy the temple. And it's going to raise up again in three days. And again, all of a sudden, you start to see through the life of Christ, preparing through his pain, purpose for his plan, providing for his people. That's the gospel. And all of a sudden, you start to see the Tanakh, and you see the New Testament, and you begin to see all of this stuff starting to happen. But here's the problem. Here's the problem in the U.S. Here's the problem in Western culture. We don't actually want to be prepared in the pain. We want to bypass pain. We, we don't want to actually believe that all things work together for our good. And when you start to actually study the scriptures, you see how God did stuff through the most difficult seasons. We'd rather get angry and start screaming and shouting at someone than actually wondering, what could this mask do for my spiritual development? What could this moment actually do where there's so much anger and struggle in our world? What might this be, God, that you are wanting to shape and form in me so that I can be more like your son? What we want to do is we want to join the fray. And we want to get angry. And what we end up doing is we start to miss out 
on the preparation. And when you miss out on the preparation, you miss out on the purpose. And when you miss out on the purpose, you miss out on the plan. And when you miss out on the plan, you miss out on the provision. And when you miss out on the provision, you miss out on serving God's people. You see what I'm saying? This is the Bible. Now, if you're all questioning, going, wait, 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 wait. It's like the Oscars. He's like, you're done now, bro. You're done. You're done. You've been there the whole time? Like the Holy Spirit, bro. Just right there. Just just hovering. Which next week, we begin a brand new series on the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. It's going to be awesome. Okay, stay with me one more, for just two more minutes. Two more minutes. So, the word Messiah... In Hebrew is the is 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 where we get the word anointed. Okay. Do you know what the word anointed in Greek is? It's the word Christos. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the capital M Messiah. But Messiah in Greek is Christ, which is where we get the word Christian. Christian. And Christians only use three times in the scriptures. And I'm going to read them really quickly, really quickly. It goes to the first one in the book of Acts 11. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, that's who we know as Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So they were, they were like the little anointed ones. They, they, they were these anointed and appointed ones for such a time as this. That's what it meant to be a Christian. Go to the next Acts passage. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a little anointed one, a Christian? That you can, uh, you can actually persuade me to be anointed and appointed one. And then the last one, the last one. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. That even rhymes. Way to go, Peter. If you suffer as a little anointed one, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. What do I want you to understand from all of this? Is that this book isn't something that should just collect dust. This book, if you let it, is going to prepare you. And it's going to prepare you and help you make sense of your pain. It's not going to prevent you from pain. It's going to prevent you from foolishness, but it's not going to prevent you from pain. But what it's going to do is actually going to showcase to you God's purposes and God's plan. And it's going to gently invite you. Do you want to take part? And then, and then, when you begin to see that, you are going to experience God's provision God's profound blessings that are not just for you, but for his people. And friends, I, I could tell you a number of ways that I've experienced profound blessings. I mean, we, just even this little church in Elgin, this church was like flooded. This church, like, another church came in and spent years just cleaning it, trying to get it back to its, like, original intent. And it's not, it's not as cool and as amazing as this, but it's the only space that would open its doors to us. But again, when I have a theology where God prepares in the pain, God purposes for a plan, and God provides for his people, I look at this and I go, thanks be to God. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another. As someone who experienced just, just pain in church leadership, and then out of nowhere... I hear about this guy, Eric Parks. 
And he doesn't know I'm doing this, but this is my segue to call him up right now. Eric, if you can just come up here. But like, I'll say this. I was on a drive in Colorado. We were just sitting in, in, as he was driving, and we were just talking. And he didn't say yes to this job. And I realized that there was something different about this guy. Something wildly different. I trusted him. And I don't trust people right away. I'm a little like arm's length, just going, okay, okay, what do you want from me? What do you need? What are you, what's, your, what's your angle? What are you? And all of a sudden, he just kept opening himself up. He kept talking about this church. Kept talking about this dream. He kept talking about words like pain and preparation. He kept talking about this beauty, beautiful vision of this diverse church that just allowed people any walk of life to actually step in. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. And then I began to see it. And then I began to hear it. I began to watch this team come together. And he just kept using this phrase, well, let's just see what wants to happen. Let's just see what wants to happen, which is his way of saying, let's just see what God wants to do. And I just, I just feel like, in many ways, I'm not a guy who just wants to honor people just for honor's sake. But I do feel like next week we're launching something that isn't the reason he came here. Isn't the reason he and his wife came here was to launch something else. The reason he came here was to actually see God's kingdom here in Rockford to see what God wants to do. And I'll just tell you what, I haven't seen, and I've been able to travel the country and God's given me some amazing opportunities the last couple years. I have not seen a leader as humble, as gracious in spirit, as opening up and not like threatened as someone who just wants to pastor people, far from perfect, far from perfect. He's a Broncos fan, far from perfect. But like, but like, but I'll tell you what, this guy, this guy has a heart for the staff. And, I, and, and is he, is he going to do everything right? No. Am I going to do everything right? Far from no. But I'll tell you what, spirit of generosity, humble spirit, someone who's been prepared in the pain, someone who understands God's purpose and God's plan, and someone who just has been provided for and is looking at his life going, how can my life point people to God's life that provides for the people? And he's just inviting you all to join in. That's what he does. That's what he does. And so you hate this, but I just want to tell you, just um, thanks for being someone who lifts this book up. Thanks for being someone who's pastored us in the most difficult season for many of us in our entire life. Thanks for not making this about you, but constantly going, you try, Lauren. Aria, you speak. Carrington, you go. Steve, you talk. Thanks for just constantly being a leader that just says, I trust God's plan. I believe in God's people. And I believe that God's not done with Rockford and the Northwest suburbs and beyond. We love you. We love you. We love you. Wow. Well, that was nice. No, stop. Hey, stop. Hey. I didn't know this could happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'll tell you this, just a little back secret, and then, and then I'm going to ask him to say one thing. Again, he doesn't know much of what's happening right now, which I love. But in the, in the mornings before you all walk in here, we get here at like 6.50 a.m., our staff, and Trevor... 
or Eric or Carrington or Sherman or Aria, they speak into the staff. And today, Eric got up and he shared just one story that it's like from his childhood. And this whole week I've been like, how do you land a plane when you're taking people to seminary? And like, I just, I kept, I kept trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. And he told this story and I was like, that's it. That's how you get prepared in the pain. That's how you understand the purpose and the plan. That's how you live a life of provision for God's people. It's just this one little story. And so, pastor, well, that would was you really just finish nice. that? Would you just oh. finish it? Yeah, I will. I love you. Love I you love too. You. Yeah, I love you. Um, it was 1982. I was nine. You remember when the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series, right? Um, and my dad took me to that game. Um, and back in those days, 1982, it wasn't a big deal to look at your nine-year-old son in the middle of a really important baseball game, and if he had to go to the bathroom, say, you're on your own. Go find the bathroom. My dad was like, you're fine. Go find the bathroom. So nine years old, I got out of my seat, and I wandered off to try to find the bathroom at Bush Stadium. And Bush Stadium, honestly, if, you know, before they renovated Wrigley, <clears throat> it made old Wrigley look like a palace, it was bad, right? Like, Bush Stadium was bad. It was gross. So I, I wandered down the hallways. I'm nine years old. I'm trying to find the bathroom. After about 10 minutes, I finally wander into one. And, and I remember to this day, like, being nine, and it seemed like there were a million people. And there were a lot. It was a World Series game, so the place was packed, right? To the brim. 60,000 fans, and there were people out in the hallways. And so I went into the bathroom, and as I was finishing up, I walked back out with millions of people is what it felt like to a little nine-year-old. I realized, I don't, I don't know how to get back to the seat. I don't know how to get back. You know, at nine, you know, you don't pay attention when you're following your old man through the joint. You don't remember what the sign said or what your seats were. He had everything. I was just following him. And now I was on my own. And I, I remember a deep sense of dread that came over me at nine because I really thought, I will be lost forever. At nine, you really think like, oh, I'm, this is how you get on a milk carton. You're at Bush Stadium, and then you're gone. And I'll never see my family again. Like, we'll never see each other again. There was this deep, like, dread and I was thinking about Steve's message, this whole idea of pain. And one of the hardest things about pain is how lonely pain can make you feel. Now, if you've ever been through it, have you ever felt like in the middle of your pain, it's really hard because you feel so by yourself? Like if you have the cancer diagnosis, you feel so alone. If you have a broken marriage, you feel like you're the only one. When you lose your job, it feels like you're all by yourself. That's what's so tricky about pain because... Even though God is taking and in that pain, he's purposing, we can feel lost in the midst of it, hopeless. And I see people get derailed from the next two pieces, which is purpose and provision, because the pain makes them think God's gone. He's disappeared. He's not here. I'm by myself. You feel like a nine-year-old kid in Bush Stadium, wandering around. It'll never be right. But you know what the greatest promise is in Scripture the greatest promise is that in all this, he's going to be with you. In all of this, in the pain, he's going to be with you. 
as he begins to roll out his purpose, he's going to be with you. As he provisions, he's going to be with you. He's going to be with you. And it's interesting how these things work in pain. Because I was nine years old, I'm standing in that, that, I still remember we were up on the third level of Bush Stadium, and there seemed like a thousand people, and it seemed like what was probably five minutes seemed like two hours. And I didn't know what I was going to do, and I started to, you know, you start to get real weepy. When... In the midst of, there's a buzz, there's people talking everywhere, that, that phonetic, and when you're freaking out, it almost feels like too much, you can't hear. And all of a sudden, I hear one thing. I hear, son, that's it, one word, son. And in the midst of a thousand people, one word, I knew it was my dad. And I could see exactly. There could have been a million people say son at the same time. I knew my dad's voice. And I went, dad, dad, you know, and you go running. See, here's, here's why this matters. The purpose is coming. His provision has his provision. It's not ours. It is this pain piece. And listen, church, Four City Church, Heartland, whatever it is you want to call us, I don't care. What we've been living through is pain. We've had seasons of pain. And even stepping towards a campus, let me be honest with you, I'm scared to death. Because everybody says, this isn't what you should be doing, bruh. Like, this isn't the right next step, right? You should just be focused on this thing. And I keep sensing God saying, no, 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 no. You got to step out and trust. You're never going to get to purpose and provision, Eric, unless you as a church step out. Listen for my voice. Listen for my voice. I got you. So that's us as a church. But for you, wherever you are at, know this. You know his voice. He's spoken to you. You know it. It may feel like you are alone wandering through the halls of Bush Stadium. The greatest promise of Scripture is He's with you. If you're in the middle of your pain, guess what? It's okay. You want to know why? Because obviously He's working a plan. If you're in the middle of your pain, He's working a plan and He's with you. If you're on this side where He's beginning to unroll purpose, it's great. He's with you. If provision is beginning to flow your way, it's great. It's all his. He's with you. It is the great promise that he is with with us. Amen? Will you stand with me? It is my great honor that I get to be here. And the truth is, um, I love Jesus a ton. Um, My identity is fully found in him, but... I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. Like Steve said some really nice things. That's really nice. But, but the reality is that everything that has happened to this point, it is all because God has aligned it and done it. Has very little to do with me. In fact, most of the time, I'm the idiot that he's just pushing off into a closet somewhere going, I got this, bro. I got this. But I'm so grateful that I get to pastor and be a part of this community again. This is my home. I love this place. So I'm just going to pray a blessing on you as you go into your week, that God will make his voice, whatever it needs to be, so real to you this week. Father, you know the stories in the room and where they are in their journey. I ask this week that you would make your voice so evident 
There's some people that need to hear you this, this week. Make your voice so clear. Let it cut through the noise so that they know that you are with them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. Next week, we start a brand new series called Redefining Ordinary about the Holy Spirit, and we launch Elgin. Be praying for it. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Teaching Pastor Steve Carter with Lead Pastor Eric Parks as they wrap up the Sunday School series at Forest City Church. Thanks for listening. 